Hi, welcome to What Chance. I'm your host, Karin Elias. This podcast is about people who have been to prison. It's about their life before and after prison. I talk to educators, social workers, activists, and the formerly incarcerated. I want to find out what happened. Are some people at higher risk of going to prison? And what is it like to reintegrate into society? What does the justice system and society really care about? Punishment or rehabilitation? Come, join me. My guest today is Cristina Diaz, who originally is from Spain, but lives and works in New York City, but happens to be back in Spain. Uh, yes, I'm taking this opportunity of working remotely that we can do anywhere in the world to be in Spain and to be back with family and friends. So I just wanted to ask you about the organization you're working for. My understanding is it's called ATD Fourth World. Yes, it is a non-profit organization. ATD stands for All Together in Dignity. And we are an organization that works on the field of human rights, extreme poverty and peace. What we do is not easy to describe, but we are a very unique organization in the sense that the members that compose the, the organization, we, we are called Movement, ATD Fourth World, are people with very different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds. So we have people like me that work for the organization. And we have decided to join because we are passionate about this fight against extreme poverty and to defend human rights. And part of our commitment is to live with a simple life that makes us closer to people with direct experience of poverty. We have a non-hierarchy type of organization where everybody that works in the organization has the same salary. It is a very simple stipend that allows us to live simply regardless of the responsibilities that we have and regardless of the time that we have been working with ADD Fourth World. So we are called volunteers among ourselves. We volunteer our time, but we need to leave, so we have a stipend. And then we have people that have direct experience of poverty, and they call themselves activists. They self-identify as activists because they are committed to fight for a better future for their communities and for their neighbors and for their children. And so they are in the neighborhoods where they live, they are activists and defenders of human rights. And then we have allies or friends who are people who work in different kind of jobs where they work. They are committed to make sure that the structures and the organizations where they work are not racist, they fight for equality, they understand the conditions of poverty and families and people living in poverty, and they make sure that where they work, these people are respected and treated with dignity. So that's really a very different approach. That's very interesting. And I'm thinking two things. One, the approach is different and I will be curious to see how it's working. But the other questions I would have is when I hear the word poverty, 
I might be thinking about some countries in Africa, maybe some countries in South America, but you actually work in the US, in New York City. Yes, well, if we look at the figures, at the statistics, the US is one of the developed countries or the so-called developed countries that has the highest rates of poverty and extreme poverty. I mean, it's enough with walking in the streets in New York to see the amount of people that are homeless and that don't have a place to live. And with this homelessness comes not only the violation of your human right to a decent housing, but a violation of your human right to have access to water, for example, to health, to education. For children that are living in the streets with their parents or living in shelters, their right to education is really compromised and, and their capacity to succeed in a school, it becomes very difficult. So there are are many challenges in the U.S. and there is poverty and extreme poverty in the U.S. as well. And it's not only among people that are immigrants that may have not have been recognized through legal papers, but also American people that are working because of the lack of decent wages and because of the lack of access to universal health care. So any illness in the family can make a family that, that's struggling to go into poverty because of the bills that accumulate. Yeah, I think this would probably be a surprise to many people. And I'm wondering some of the things you mentioned, like education, access to health care, also the environment of clean water, housing, this is not something you can change directly. So how can your program help if you don't have influence directly on these issues? Our organization is focused on creating the conditions so that people that are living through these difficult experiences and struggles become activists and advocates themselves. So many of the programs that we have are conceived so that people can come together, can talk about what they are living, can realize that they are not the only ones going through what they are going through, that is not their fault, that it is a system that pushes people to the bottom and creates this situation. And through that kind of learning together to read the reality and understand what is happening, and through meetings and conversations and dialogue with people that have different experiences, we create their capacity to advocate for policies that will benefit them and their communities. And so we are not service providers. We don't provide a service. What we do is we create the conditions so that the right to participation, the right to real democracy becomes true for people that are usually forgotten or that have never the possibility to participate. So I'm wondering, maybe you can give us an example, like walk us through a day in your work life in New York City. How do you approach people? How is their reaction? Are they saying, oh, yes, of course, I can become active and change my situation? Or are they somewhat resigned to maybe being a victim? 
You touch upon a really interesting concept, this concept of victimization and how do you come out of that label and become an agent in your life and perceive yourself uh, as someone that can make a difference in society. And that is part of the trip we accompany people through. But you asked me a question first, and it is how a day in my life will be and how do we contact people and get to know people that live in poverty. In New York, there are areas where there is a concentration of people living in very difficult conditions, the projects, and within the projects, especially uh, NYCHA or New York Public Housing concentrates a big amount of the families that are struggling the most. And we have a project that we develop in many different places as a project that will allow to have contact with the community. And because all the projects we carry or we, we develop, they are conceived with the people themselves and with the people that are living in poverty. But to get to know people in poverty, to be present in a neighborhood, sometimes you need something uh, where you can create the contacts and a space where you can meet. And over the years, we have learned that regardless of the country or the culture or the experience of uh, families, they all have something in common. And is that all parents are struggling so that their children don't live the same difficulties they are living and so that children leave poverty behind them. Most families and most people we know in all the countries and in all the cultures, they think that education has a big role to play in this. And so the project we usually do when we want to get to know a community, it is called Street Library. And it is a very simple project that builds upon this conviction that is through education that you can't leave poverty behind. And so the street library is a very simple project. We bring books and arts and crafts and sometimes technology as well into a neighborhood in a very public space outside so that the community can see what we do, who we are, and we can invite children that are passing by to join. And we read stories with the children, we propose activities to the children so that they can enjoy the, the fact of creating and making something beautiful. Or we bring computers and we go through what are their interests and, and what they like to do. And the goal of this project, it is to say to parents, we recognize that you really care about education, but we are not a school. And we think that it is the task of the school to provide good quality education for our children, but the taste and the joy of learning sometimes doesn't happen at a school. And because the school has grades and, 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 and has exams and, and has expectations, and so we create a, a free space where the purpose is to be together to learn. And that gives us the possibility to get to know parents and then to speak about other ideas. Yeah, it sounds it is really also very important. How do you see people in poverty? How do you respect them? How do you see the humanity, right? Because I think often people don't put people in poverty on an equal level in terms of their aspirations, right? So my question would also be, before you started working for this organization, did you need special training to do this kind of work? No, we don't hire people on their resumes. We are open to 
anyone who would like to come and commit with ATD Fort Worth, regardless of the studies they have done, regardless of the socioeconomic background or history that they have. The only thing is that you have to agree to the common agreements, that is the stipend, that is quite basic, and also that we are an international organization and that the commitment is international. So what we ask people that join ATD for World for an experience to discover is that first we would like you to have an experience in your country so that you get to know how is poverty in your own country, in your own culture, before joining a team somewhere else. But we want people to be able to join teams in other places so that they can learn what is poverty in other places and bring also all the things that they have learned in their country to other other places so that is richer and the projects we do are enriched by this uh, international volunteer call. So would you share a little bit about your journey? So I'm assuming you started in Spain first and then you moved on to other areas. What was your reason why you wanted to become involved with an organization like this? Actually, I met ATD Football in Switzerland when I was studying at university. And I really enjoyed the approach because, so it wasn't only about projects, it was an organization that allowed me and accompanied me to think about poverty, to think about society, to think about injustice, inequality. So there was this culture where we can talk and we can question society and we can welcome young people that have all these questions about how the world is organized. And together with that, the possibility to think and question and reflect in a very unique way, because I was always questioned from the perspective of people with direct experience of poverty that I never met in my country. I was in Switzerland and I, I knew very little about poverty in Spain. And then when I went back to Spain, I had finished uh, university. I, I used to volunteer with the organization for a few years. And it was after a few years of uh, volunteering while working and do, doing other things that I decided that the jobs that I was having were not radical enough. I couldn't question, there was not a space to question how things were done. And so that is why I joined the organization, because I've always had a lot of freedom to create, to do new things and to question what we are doing. So you must have had some interesting travels. I'm assuming you didn't just stay in Europe and in the US, but you also explored other countries. Actually, I didn't start in Spain because I volunteered for several years when I was working in Spain and in Ireland, in, bo in both countries. Uh, I got to know very well the organization, but also the reality is why I was involved in uh, street libraries in Spain. And in Ireland, I was involved in accompanying people that were living in the streets and, and getting to know them. And when I joined the organization to work with them, uh, they proposed me to go to France. I was in France for five years, then for two years in Spain, and then I have been in, in the U.S. for nine years and in one year in, in Lebanon. After you work with people in poverty and you apply that approach from your organization, what sort of changes do you see and how quickly do you see these changes? Change is, is very difficult to measure especially what you propose to people is a journey. 
And we see that poverty changes quite quickly if families are very close to the poverty line. There is a poverty line in the U.S., but in many European countries as well, but especially in the U.S., where people live very close to that poverty line and go up and down during their lives, depending on crises and, and difficult moments. With a little bit of intervention, there is more change. But we want to reach, and I never said this, but the spirit of the organization is to reach and to build with the poorest and the people that are most far behind. So those who, even in a neighborhood, they consider, oh, they have, they really are dragging us down. Those are the people that are making us shame. And, and, but that is the people that have the most difficulties. And this is the people that we want to work with. And this is the people we offer the journey about what does it mean to be the one that the community really disregard and disrespect, uh, to be the one that is capable of representing a community and talking about the concerns and the issues of that community at, at a political level. And, and that is the journey we proposed. And very often, in a generation, we don't see that people leave poverty we see people still struggling because people are very damaged and very hurt and had carried a lot of trauma that is not easy to solve with the kind of projects and programs that social services propose. And because these programs are based more on a charitable approach that helps people in a state of building their dignity and believing that they have capacity to contribute to society, people are often depressed or they don't want to fight. And that is at the place where we can intervene. There is this distress and this lack of motivation because life has been very hard. So there are these changes in the life of people that go from feeling that you are worthless and that your life is worthless to feeling that you have something to contribute to humanity and that you are a person that has dignity and deserves to be respected and that it is not your fault if you are living in extreme poverty. And we see those changes with years. We are an organization that works at the very grassroots local level to get to know communities and people, the most excluded in these communities. But at the same time, we work at policy level. And in very different countries, have different ways of being implemented. For example, in New York, it's a very special place because it is the place where is the United Nations. And so the team that is based in New York is in charge also of representing the whole international movement at the United Nations. So many of the people we work with here in New York, they have had this opportunity to build their capacity to understand what they have lived through, build a collective knowledge that they can then bring to the United Nations, for example. That's really interesting what you said before about building up the people. It sounds like it's really an experience of self-development, growth, higher self-esteem. And I was going to ask you if you saw differences in different countries, how this is working, because you mentioned support services that a country or an area provides are often not enough. Did you find there was a difference in all these countries you worked with because of that? 
apparently, yes. The life of a person in Burkina Faso, for example, that is one of the poorest countries in Africa, and the life of a person in the US could be different. But in reality, and we have had many international gatherings where people with experience of poverty from the Philippines, from uh, Tanzania, from uh, Burkina Faso, from Bolivia, from the US, from France have come together and had the opportunity to share their experiences and to think together, for example, how do we want to develop this movement in our countries with our specificities and our cultures. And one of the things that was surprising is that, yes, the external conditions are different, but the way you experience them is very similar. The shame, the lack of respect, the dehumanization of people, the lack of participation, the lack of voice, it is very similar in all countries. And also the approaches that we are using to fight poverty are very similar in, in many countries. And one of the things that people say is that in all countries, governments or in the north or the development organizations in the south they come pretending and thinking that they know how to do things and we don't know and so they come and they propose these projects that they have thought in their offices and very often uh, very far away from reality that don't work and that even worsen the situation of the poorest uh, people in a community or builds a gap in between those who have more resources and are able to benefit from the project and those who have less capacity to benefit from projects. And so the result is that these projects break the solidarity that exists in these communities and the traditional way in which they have been resisting and struggling. And this is a common experience, regardless if it is the social services in Switzerland, that is one of the countries that has the most developed social protection policies, or a country like Senegal that has much less protection. So there are contextual differences but when it comes to questioning the system the power system that is part of what we do why would you consider that a person because this person has more means has more value as a human being why could you consider that this person because he or she went to university, his knowledge has more value than the knowledge that I may have because I lived in poverty all my life and I, my family lived in poverty. So that knowledge, when it is put in common, when it is worked collectively, it is the knowledge that is missing and that is why many policies and programs are not working. But it is very difficult to question the power structures and the knowledge structures that are defending those power structures and to say you are missing very valuable knowledge you are considering citizens that are worthless just because you set the rules and you decide this is what is valuable and this is not what is not valuable yes yeah, so many questions come to mind when you say these things because you mentioned most other programs that want to 
eliminate poverty or a top-down approach. And even if it's in one's own country, the government doesn't know, it seems, all its people. So we do need probably some cultural sensitivity if we have organizations go to other areas, but even just how do we value people? How do we see community? And you also mentioned there might be a hierarchy in a community because the ones who have seem to be of bigger value than the ones who don't have. So I'm wondering, we probably would all agree there is a benefit for the people in poverty if we eliminate poverty. But is there a benefit for the people not in poverty if we eliminate poverty? I could ask the same question. Is there a benefit for the people that were not slaves to immediate slavery? We are less human if we let a child die of hunger. We are less human if we let a person have their life expectancy reduced by 30 years because they are living in the streets. So our humanity suffers when we let people go through these experiences and this suffering. And we have the capacity to build a society that is different. We have the means, we have the intelligence, we have the creativity, but we are not using it. And we are in a society that values for example, competition more than collaboration that proposes, and, and this is one of the things that happens, that we live in a society, even if we are rich of a scarcity, and we propose meager resources to fight poverty for which people have to compete. And so this has created a division in between those who deserve and those who don't deserve, who doesn't deserve to, to be uh, help or to benefit from these programs. But this is a conviction, a personal conviction that I, I feel less of a human being when I see people incarcerated, for example, because they cannot pay a bill or because they, they don't have the means to pay for a decent legal representation. So for me, it is a question about, is this? the society we want to live in? Is this the society we want our children to live in? It's somewhat a philosophical question too, right? How do we want to create community? And if we really wanted to change inequality, we would have to rethink quite a few things. And who is going to be willing, and are enough people going to be willing to do this and also thinking about right now we're going through a pandemic that has brought many issues to the top. Issues that we have known about, but we haven't addressed. But now we are forced to. Maybe are we living through a time where we are more likely to make some of those changes because we can actually get more support. That's a very difficult question. My optimistic uh, approach says that, of course, we have the potential to change. We are, as human beings, we are the most adaptable beings in, in, in this planet. At the same time, I think we lack 
a lot of knowledge and, and wisdom. We have a very fragmented approach to understanding human relationships, our relationship to nature, uh, a very Cartesian way of approaching these fundamental relationships in which we live. And we are against, I would say, we're against big structures that are not easy to change. I said at the beginning of this interview that families living in extreme poverty put a lot of um, hope on the education system. And yet, what we see with the education system, that this is, it is a system that has been created so that we accept power structures as they are, so that we learn how to become good citizens, good productive citizens that will continue the same structures that are oppressing us and that we become blind to the oppression. And so how do we change this? And for me, this is a question that really touches what I am as a human being. I didn't come here to become rich. I didn't come here to have a lot of things, and I'm not interested in, in that. But I am really interested in, in understanding how the world works, how human relationships are built, what our essence is made of, and how can we become the best of our potential as a human being, as a family, as a society, and as a planet. When you go in this journey in life, you discover that there are many people that are in this same journey, but starting from very, very different points and very different places and, and coming together is not always so easy. Yeah, it sounds like we do need optimism and creativity, but we need to be prepared that maybe there'll be a few walls to break through even you know if things are going well and I'm wondering for yourself in the next five years where do you see yourself? I would hope to be back in Spain I, I've lived a big part of my working life abroad and, and I really miss family and friends here but I really enjoy what I do with ATD Football and I so far want to continue even if I am very critic of education and maybe because I am very critic of it I also think that training it is a field that can make many changes as a professional, I studied um, education, pedagogy, and, and I've never invested. I've worked many years in this organization on international advocacy, and uh, now I am working more in projects uh, locally. But I really would like to go back to my field of studies, that is uh, education, and, and train or, or learn with people how to think differently. How do we create education programs that allow us to think differently, that allow us to break barriers and to break the limits that uh, we are living in? Uh, and we only do that together. I mean, how do we think together? How do we create together? I want to develop programs that allow people to do this. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting journey. And I want to thank you very much for this very introspective conversation. I think I learned a lot about a different approach to eliminating poverty. Thank you very much, Christina. 
You're welcome, Karen, my pleasure. What Chance is created in New York with cover art by Hernan Brabermann and original music by Max Elias. <laughs>